This podcast is brought to you by True Voice. We're bringing you automated win, loss, and no decision analysis at scale so you can find and fix seller blind spots in near real time. With automated customer feedback from every opportunity, you'll uncover what buyers truly care about when purchasing, what your competitors are doing to adapt, and how the experience with your sales reps impact win rates. With this new insight, your sellers automatically receive the right science-backed sales training from Corporate Visions based on their individual strengths and weaknesses. It's time to get more from your win-loss analysis. True Voice moves you from just-in-case to just-in-time coaching and training. Visit us at www.truevoice.io and start winning more today. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for another edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by True Voice. I'm your host, Ryan Quelder. If you truly want to increase your win rate, you've got to get as close to your customers as possible. Your customers, they'll, they'll tell you what it takes to win and keep their business, but without insight into what your customers truly care about, what's most important to them when they're making a decision. You can't really align your go-to-market strategy to their needs. Emphasis on their. Customer feedback can inform your entire go-to-market strategy from campaigns to product roadmap development to pricing strategy. Today, we're going to focus on just one crucial aspect, and I do mean crucial aspect of your go-to-market strategy, and that's your messaging strategy and specifically how your customer feedback can help you power your messaging strategy across the customer lifecycle. Exploring this with me today is Ashley Litzenberger, former head of segment marketing at Lattice. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hey, it is so good to be here today. Okay, oh, we have a habit here, um, and and that is first, you know, we're, we're all humans. We recognize the human in each other. <clears throat> first, Tell me about you. Our listeners want to hear about our guests and and tell us about your experience and who you are. Yeah. So I'll start with professionally and then talk a little bit personally too. Um, I have been a product marketer for 10 years. My last year has been really focusing on segment or audience marketing, um, but I've worked in ed tech and HR tech at three different SaaS companies. Um, and what I really love about product marketing is how varied the work is throughout the year or by company, company size, industry, there's always something different, some new challenge, something new to learn. And that just, that just inspires me to get up and just dive into my work every day. It makes me so excited. So that I totally get where you're coming from. Um, that newness of challenge and the constantly evolving uh, problem or uh, problem to solve or challenge to, to confront what an exciting thing. Tell, what, what about in your personal life? Tell us about you. Yeah, I I love learning. I love new challenges. So I spent um, the first six years of my career living in D.C. Um, but before that, I actually, my parents are in the State Department. And so I grew up living and traveling overseas, um, spending about three years in different countries, ranging from Belgium to Kyrgyzstan to Serbia to Italy. 
Um, and I learned so much about just learning and understanding different points of view and different cultures and different ways to do things. And it made me an incredibly curious person. And so I've kind of carried that over in my life. I'm still a little bit of a nomad, having spent some time in New England and then in DC, and now I'm in Sausalito. Um, and I am always trying new things. So right now, over the last couple of years, I've just gotten into triathlons where I'm swimming, running, biking out in the Bay Area, really trying to get to know the land and the territory and um, challenge myself in new ways. And that's been that's been a blast. Okay, so two follow-up questions. First, why triathlons? That sounds like torture. Um, so <laughs> so why why that? Why did you get into triathlons? You know, I moved out to the Bay Area during the pandemic and the whole city was shut down. So there wasn't really that much to do in terms of like going to museums or getting out and, you know, other things, but there was so much to do outside here and I love the outdoors. And so I started by hiking and running and then my friends finally got me very nervously to get on my first road bike, which I then fell in love with. Um, and then I was looking around, I live right right next to the bay. I'm two blocks away from the water. And I just kept on staring at it. And I saw a couple of people swimming and I was like, you know what? I think I can do this. I'm gonna go ahead and give it a try. So I got a wetsuit, I jumped in the water. It was freezing, it was terrifying. And then it turned out to be one of my favorite things to do and go back to on a weekly or a bi-weekly basis when I get the chance. So I think we just uncovered another episode for a podcast where we can talk about trying hard things, trying new things and the discovery and the, the beauty of living like that. I love that. Thank yeah. you. The second follow-up question I have is around your international experience. <clears throat> um, did living abroad, from your perspective, did living abroad impact your view, how you address the challenges that you face in your work? You know, as a product marketer, it really has. I believe that the product, the the way to be a successful product marketer, there are so many tips and tricks out there. Um, but the thing that comes to play in my work all the time is how valuable it is to take the time to get to know and understand your stakeholders and their challenges and their goals and their pain points. And so, so much of living overseas is about being curious and learning you know, why does this culture do things this way? Why does this town operate in this way? Why is this language set up in this different, you know, way? Um, and the same thing is true of your your stakeholders and of your customers. Um, so taking the time to just really get to know and understand what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, what their motivations are, it makes you a better stakeholder for them and a better advocate for them. And so I would say that I bring that into my work on a daily basis, because there's not a day that goes by that I'm not meeting with someone who's in a different role than what I do. Oh, I love that. Okay. You are the right person to have this conversation with. Thank you for joining us today. Let's go. So in your, let's start here in your experience, why is it important to leverage, you know, customer feedback when developing the messaging? You know, this is a great question. And actually in preparation for this podcast, I was listening to a previous podcast. There's a great one about strategic versus tactical product marketing. And as I was listening to that one, um, it dawned on me that like the reason that I care so much about customer feedback and the customer voice in your messaging is because it is the foundation for building a really effective strategy. Um, if you understand your customers, if you can speak to their pain points and if you can demonstrate how you solve their problems and you really understand their tone, their stress, their optimism, what their goals are, you're gonna be able to build more effective ad copy, messaging copy, sales outbounding templates. You're going to be able to build more successful pitch decks. You're going to be able to 
identify and solve pain points in your buyer's journey so much more effectively just by having that empathy and understanding of your customer and by weaving that into the work that you do. So it really is just a foundation for being a really strategic product marketer. Mm, that depth of understanding your customer. Yes. Okay. We are, we are vibing right now. That is a major, <laughs> major um, point that, that we drive often at true voice. So, so tell me from your perspective, if, if that's the case, if understanding your customer is terribly important, you can't, I mean, it's really not conceivable to go um, and talk with all of your customers all of the time. How do you go about acquiring or hearing the voice of your customer? Yeah, there are so many ways that you can begin to understand the voice of your customer. There's so many places that you can go. Um, I really believe in having phone calls, even if it's just 10 to 20 in a year, just having uh, phone calls with your customers and talking to them and asking them questions, um, getting to know and understand them. Because when you come in as a product marketer, you might do enough, do a bunch of that research, and then you get bogged down in all of like the go-to-market launches and the strategy and the competitive intelligence. And you, you start to just assume that you know your customer. But the truth is, your customers' needs are changing and your product is also changing. Um, and the economic environment that your customers are working in or the goals of their companies are shifting as they're growing or as you're moving into new markets. And so if you don't keep in touch with that customer voice, you start to risk kind of falling out of touch with them and making assumptions that lead to mis mis misalignment in your messaging. Um, but how do you figure out who to talk to? That is a really good question. Um, I, one of my favorite things to do is look at three different areas. So I really like to look at your loyal, happy customers who have high adoption and engagement scores. Um, those are the ones who are using your product, who are finding value in your product, and they can tell you what that value is and why they go back to it, how it became a part of their everyday use. And you can feed that back into your product strategy, but you can also use that in your messaging and your customer marketing materials in, um, you know, your campaigns and your strategy there. I also really, my favorite group is um, your repeat customers, the customers who've purchased your product multiple times. This is the best group for me. If I only have 10 calls on my calendar for six months and that's all I can get in to do, I wanna call those customers who have bought my product multiple times. And that's because they have really found value. They're lifetime customers. They'll tell you everything you need to know from a happy, uh, loyal customer, but they will also tell you how they've gotten buy-in from multiple key stakeholders and multiple executive groups to actually purchase your product as the one to use and as the one for choice. And that becomes really helpful because it tells you not just what your point of contact or your buyer cares about, but what the rest of your stakeholders care about and how they're building your business case. And that is becoming more and more important in today's environment when every company is so, so intentional about their tech spend right now, knowing how to build a compelling business case is key. And so going to the people who've done it successfully in the past is going to be your best bet for figuring out how to build it out today. So I love that at the root of your business case is a result in the stakeholders that are that typically sit north in an organization are very much results focused. They want to know that they're purchasing a thing that will produce a thing, right? So what am I getting and why, what's it going to produce for me use cases and, and how to employ it and all that other stuff. Um, that's important. So long as it produces the result that the stakeholder is after and if you can't produce that result quickly and easily 
and in, a, in an economic fashion, you have no business case. And so your, your paradigm around getting, hearing the voice of your customer to help you stay focused on their needs, because it's dynamic. It's not static. It's changing constantly. Love that. And the reason I love that is too many organizations get focused on their product, what their product mm -hmm. does, not how it meets the need of the customer, but what their product does. And they get locked down with static messaging. That's very canned. And when it, it gets taken to the market, maybe initially it has some punch, but if it doesn't evolve over time, it, it gets stale, it gets lost in the noise. I mean, is that what you're seeing or are you seeing something else? No, I'm definitely seeing that. And I was going to say another great reason to go to your customers and talk to them and listen to them and get their feedback, at least for me, is because I think of them as an extension of my product marketing team or my marketing team. Um, they will be able to tell you, if you ask them two of my favorite interview questions, and we may get into this a little bit later, um, are how would you describe our company or our product to a colleague who's also in the space? And they will tell you what your product is and what it does in clear, jargon-free words that are very authentic to your industry or to your audience. And going straight to them will help you remove words like high-performing and streamlined and industry-leading so that you actually get into meaningful messaging, meaningful sentences that tell you very shortly, very quickly, um, and very, you know, I use this word again, but authentically, what it is that your product does and why it's important and why it's valuable. And so going to your customer to just cut through that noise and make sure that you don't get wrapped up in a marketing echo chamber is really critical. Yeah. So I love this. Let's go further. You mentioned one question that you really like to ask and I loved it. What are some other questions for our listeners? What are some other questions that you might want to ask your customers that, that you really enjoy asking? Yeah. So if you have the luxury of having a 30 to 45 minute customer interview call to just talk to your customers, and we don't always have that time. Um, but again, 10 to 20 calls a year at least is a great way to keep your pulse on what's going on. Um, starting with questions that focus on a couple of buckets, like what are your jobs to be done? What are the challenges that you're trying to solve? Or just asking, you know, if that's a complex question or if it's hard to get into there, just coming up and saying, what was the state before you started using our product? Um, what was going on on your day-to-day? -day? What wasn't working? What was a challenge? Why were you trying to solve it? Um, and then, then you ask, what did bringing in this product do? What are the outcomes that you're experiencing? What's changed for you? Um, and then would, why wouldn't you go back to the default? All of those things help you understand, here's the value that a customer is getting out of my product. Here's why they're going back to it. Here's why they're a repeat customer. Here's Here's why they're bringing it out to their teams. Here's why they're advocating for it in their annual budgets. And that is really important. You have to feel strongly about a product um, or a vendor if you're going to go to bat for them in your annual budget cycle. And that's coming up right now, too. Mm -hmm. um, so I really would focus on those questions that get to your pain points, to the, the change, and to the outputs. Um, but the two questions that I really love asking are describe, describe this company or describe this company, uh, this product to a colleague in the space. And then a follow-up question is if that colleague came back and said, okay, that's what they do, but like, are they worth the effort? Are they worth the cost to implement? Are they worth the implementation process or the rip and replace process? What would you say to them? Um, and that will tell you what's different about you compared to your competitors. That's where you're going to start getting into your differentiation where the first question will tell you, here's what my product is and does, and here's what I should say. 
here are the value differentiators and here's the impact and here's the ROI and the use case uh, that I really want to bring forward. Why, why do you, uh, that I agree with you and I have my own potential reasons why I think that might be valuable, but why is that an important question for you? Understanding what the, what, how they talk about the value of your organization, how, why they answer the worth it question. Why is that important? It's so important because, you know, you mentioned this earlier, it's really easy to just focus on your product and be product led in your messaging or talk to your CEO or your marketing team and everyone in your marketing team, everyone at your company believes in your product. And, you know, they maybe exclusively have only experienced or used your product in the space. Maybe they've come from a competitor, um, but everyone is an evangelist of your product. And that is not true in the wider world. So you have to go back out to your cu customers to understand you know, when I'm not drinking my own Kool-Aid at my own company, hearing the, you know, all the great things that we do, what is it that, that is actually landing and is actually sticking out there? Where is the value actually being felt? Mm. Powerful, powerful. All right. Now I want to talk about some potential obstacles. So you've identified, uh, you gave some criteria on which customers to, to reach out to, what questions to ask. You've identified them. Let's let's walk through. Let's walk the dog through the park. You've identified them. You have the questions <laughs> ready to go. What obstacles do you bump into, and uh, as a PMM, um, before you start potentially reaching out to those customers to ask these questions to hear their voice? Are there any internal obstacles that you bump into? Oh, this is such a great question, um, and it is. I think it's something that is very real. So, as much as we want to get in front of our customers and to talk to our customers. It can be hard to do that. Um, there's a couple of obstacles that you can run into. You can run into your own bandwidth challenges. You might be working on a really big product launch or you might have a thousand urgent and urgent and important or simply just urgent requests coming in. But there, I don't know of a single product marketer who looks at their week and says, you know, I think I can cut out early most days this week. I don't really have anything on my plate. <laughs> um, that's just not the way it works. And so finding time for this is really important. Um, and I've done it a couple of different ways. I've you know, looked at it. I think a good way to estimate the amount of time it takes to run 10 to 20 customer interviews. And I know that you can run more of those. Um, I wouldn't recommend running too many less. Um, but that takes about 40 hours of work and set up all throughout the process, maybe a little bit more. So you can just say, you know what, the first week of January, when we're kicking off things from the very beginning, I'm going to run customer interviews and I'm just going to start my year off by really getting to know the customers and seeing where they are. Or you can look at it and you can say, you know what, this is something that I'm going to dedicate three hours a day for a quarter or two and make it a little bit of a longer process for scheduling and working and doing. Um, but finding and prioritizing the time to talk to your customers is really important. Um, but another thing is that you don't own the customer relationship as a product marketer. So how do you get to your customers? And that can be a little bit tricky. Um, at smaller companies, it might be really easy. You have a strong relationship with your customer success team or, um, you know, and you might be able to just reach out and have a casual conversation. If, the, if business is going really well and you have a lot of really happy customers, it's really easy to get that approval and get that referrals. Right now, there's a lot of tech companies that are struggling with retention and high churn rates. And so there's a lot of worry and hesitation to let someone else talk to your customer when they're at a point of like coming up on renewal. Um, and so in that case, there's a lot of relationship building that you have to do with the heads of, of customer success, but also with your individual customer success leads. So bringing them into the story, explaining 
why this is important, how it's going to benefit them, um, and walking them through, here's what your customer can expect. And then helping them by saying, you know, I've drafted a couple of outreach templates that introduced me to your customer and I've already worked to pre-identify a short list of customers that I'd like to reach out to. Can I get the approval for that? At larger companies, you can probably go to a customer marketer um, to work with you and better understand who might be good to shortlist and to reach out to to get approval from your customer success team. Um, and for that, you can use databases like a Looker or a Salesforce CRM or something else to help identify who are customers with the characteristics that you're looking for. Is it a high NPS score? Is it a high um, renewal rate grade? Um, or to identify someone who is a repeat customer. And so those are great ways that you can start to use your databases to help narrow down who to talk to. So you just identified the heaviest lift for every PMM that's ever done win-loss analysis or voice of the customer or voice of the buyer or whatever. It's navigating the internal minefield that is relationship owning. That's the identification and approval process that can be in and of itself can be, you know, 90% of the work that goes into this entire process. If you think about it, you know, 10, 30 minute interviews. Um, okay. The amount of pre-production work that goes into just getting and identifying and reaching out and scheduling and getting everything squared away can really add up. So this is actually why, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is exactly the reason why our company, True Voice by Corporate Visions, even exists. Um, traditionally, win-loss and voice of customers, exactly the way that you have, have outlined it, and those, those obstacles are, they can be soul-crushing at times, especially in large organizations. So finding a platform or finding a partner that is... Uh, helpful in removing some of that lift. Imagine you were in a space where you had a partner that could, you know, remove some of those obstacles in that lift to help you automate that process and the identification of the people that you could go talk to based on the parameters that you want, where a salesperson closes out a deal. One, let's say it's a renewal. You like to, you talk to customers that are repeat customers, a renewal that comes in, the cl uh, salesperson closes out the deal they've renewed again, and it automatically triggers a survey that goes out. They fill out the survey, and then at the end, they it says, would you be willing to participate in, in a conversation? You get a percentage of those people that say yes, based on the criteria that you've got. You've narrowed down your, your, your list already. They've opted in. They're ready to go. Problem solved. And then it empowers the Ashleys of the world to go do more interviews rather than spending the time on the pre-production work that nobody wants to do. You get to spend more time doing interviews or even having a third party I'm, uh, conduct the interviews. I'm curious uh, because I, I think there's benefits in both ways, but what is your perspective on this idea? Why um, some organizations hire companies like ours um, to do the interviews for them and others are like, no, we want to do them ourselves. And I totally get both ways. I mean, both make sense to me and I understand why. What's your perspective on this internal, yeah. external? Great question. I think um, both ways are equally valid. And I think it really depends on the workload of your PMM team and what you're focused on doing. And so if you are a really young, small startup and you have like a fractional CMO and you're working with vendors, 
ex, uh, outsourcing some of that customer research is going to be really valuable because you're at a place where you don't have time to do 20 calls and spend 20 hours just to talk about your messaging. You need those insights and you actually are moving faster and quick enough. You can A-B test your way to finding what's going on and what's working and what's not. Um, and you're probably going to work with a vendor who is going to have trans, uh, transcriptions of the calls. They're going to have recordings of the calls. You can always listen to those to asynchronously to get into the mind of your customer and hear the tone and hear what's going on. Um, but you can also just look at their analysis and look at the like end product that they're giving you and use that as your starting point. Um, now flip over to another side of the place. Let's say that you are a product marketer of one, you have a thousand things on your plate. You have done some of the product market research, but there's something really big, high strat, um, very strategic, high priority going on at your company. You know, I've been there before. You just don't have the bandwidth to take up to take time away and focus on anything else that's not urgent but this is also important and that's where if you can identify this as being an important and an urgent activity and it still isn't making your list of the top five things you get to focus on in your work week that is a great place to say you know what it's time that i need some more support and start working on um, finding a vendor finding someone else who you can outsource running those interviews to um, another thing that can be really valuable is you might start doing these interviews and you, and if you have like a really thoughtful clientele, like I worked with HR folks and they are some of the most wonderful people to talk to. They also really don't want to deliver bad news. Mm. And so if you, and so one thing that you can do, if you find your messaging really isn't working or something's not aligning in the way that, uh, in the way that your research is coming out, going to a third party who doesn't have skin in the game, sometimes you can get a more authentic answer from your customers. And so that could be something that's worth exploring as well. I call it the bartender effect. It's like, you know, everybody, when you, when you saddle up, when you belly up to the bar and you're talking to the bartender, if you're alone, you're talking to the bartender barkeep, they don't have any skin in the game. They don't care. And so they, they might listen to you. They might be the safe kind of almost therapist to listen to you talk about when, what's going on. And that's in essence, what you're saying is sometimes when you have a persona like HR folks who are some of the salt of the earth people, just good humans that don't necessarily want to provide maybe some negative feedback, not only HR, there's, there's cultures that they would not come directly at you and say, this is a problem. This is a problem. And this is a problem. That's just culturally not how they do things. And so Absolutely. having maybe a third party might, might loosen things up. Is that, is that, am I hearing you say that right? Am I, am I hearing? Yeah, that? absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. And you know, this, this is something that can be true of messaging if your messaging is really far off or if a competitor is changing, but it's also deeply true if you're doing a win-loss analysis and you're talking to customers who didn't choose you. And that's because they've built up relationships with your sales team or with your account manager. And so if you're looking for churn reviews or um, loss reasons, having a third party come in and be the person who receives that news and then passes it on can make it easier for your customers or for your prospects who didn't choose you to be more honest in their reasons and in their thought process, whereas they might hold back or try and be a little bit more gentle if it's someone uh, internally. Totally. Totes, as the kids say these days. <laughs> so, okay, uh, let's let's keep walking the dog through the park here. You've done a wonderful job of helping us understand how to identify the right people, the obstacles that might be out there, the questions that ask, if I should do it, if I should get a vendor. Fantastic. We've got we've done the work, we've got the data. Let's let's make the rubber and the road meet. Now that we've got this feedback, 
let's talk about this practical application, right? What tips do you have for us around how you can leverage customer feedback to develop that messaging? Yeah. So the first thing that I do when I've completed a bunch of customer calls is I will go back through and I'll just create a document that pulls in the answers to some of the key questions that I'm looking for. And so just taking all of those separate interviews and consolidating the insights or consolidating the customer feedback in quote form into one page can help you identify key trends and key themes. You can start to understand, okay, this problem is coming up all of the time. This problem is coming up 50% of the time. So here's my main problem that I'm trying to solve for. And here's the solution and the output that someone is talking to. So using that to start to bucket things into pain points, solutions, um, and value propositions will start, and the frequency at which they come up will start to inform your messaging strategy and your hierarchy. What is the messaging that you want to go out the door with? And then what are some of the follow-up messages that you want to reinforce with later on during the prospect or the customer um, life cycle? So that's a place that I really like to, that's one place that I begin. Once you go through and you craft your messaging, make sure that you're going back and you're looking at the word choice that folks are using. Um, that is really important. You'll start to understand what jargon is industry standard and what jargon might actually be a little too specialized. Um, you'll also start to understand, you know, what is the tone and what is the way that folks are talking about things? Are you working with like a very serious, um, very risk averse, very uh, intentional uh, audience base? Or are you looking, are you talking to someone who's funny and lighthearted and likes to make jokes and is looking for something that sort of meets them in a very humanized and personal way. That will tell you a little bit about the tone that you want to pull into your messaging. And that can be really valuable too. Um, the other thing I like to do is once you've crafted your messaging and you've you know pulled through here are my key points, key messages and key value propositions, um, you're going to vet that around your entire, around key stakeholders. So your CEO will probably see it. The rest of the marketing team will see it. Your product team will see it. And you're going to start to get a lot of pushback and a lot of revisions. And it is really important to listen to your stakeholder feedback and to include it in some of the work that you're doing. But at the same time, you don't want to get too far adrift from the customer voice. So if your CEO is coming in and saying, I really think the value proposition is this, um, listen to it. Go back to your research, see if it's there, see if it's true. And if it is, you know, bring that into your messaging. And if it's not, go back to your CEO and show them your findings and show them your research. Educate them on what's changing in the market because they've started this company with this incredible vision or they've joined into this company at later on. Um, either way, they are still learning. And part of your job as a product marketer is to educate your stakeholders too. So bring in their feedback, go back to your customer voice, vet whether or not you're seeing that trend, maybe you missed something, um, and then also go back to educate them. The other thing that I love um, finally is that when I do this, when I take this approach to developing customer messaging, one of the things that's really important in the sales process right now is social proof and case studies and customer quotes. And so often if I'm like backing into my customer messaging without having done customer calls, Finding a customer quote that aligns with the value proposition I'm looking for, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah, you're trying yeah. to like feed someone or you're even emailing someone saying, hey, I drafted a quote that kind of aligns with the themes that we talked about in our call. Would you put your name next to it? Whereas this way you actually can go back and say, I actually have seven customer quotes 
that align with this value proposition that I'm ready to pull that goes straight from the horse's mouth. And all I need to do is get approval for it. And because it really did come from them, they're so much more likely to say yes and not rewrite it. And so you're going to have the social proof you need that really tightly aligns with the value propositions that you're putting forward. You just dropped truth bomb after truth bomb after truth bomb. That was powerful. <laughs> My favorite part about that whole segment was not backing down. We have to give a seat at the table to the voice of our customer. And as soon as we dismiss it and only go to the stakeholder perspective of what the value proposition is, we have lost. We have lost. We have to magnify. We have to give a bullhorn to our customers, to the voice of our customer. And when they speak, we need to listen. I loved what you said. Part of our job as PMMs, educate those stakeholders. Powerful, powerful stuff. All right, let's talk about life cycles. How does message development differ across maybe the customer life cycle? This is a great question. And it's so timely because I'm always learning in what I do. I recently read a book called Forget a Font. Uh, sorry, I recently, I'm going to start over. Another really great question. Um, I'm always learning in, in my profession and in what I'm doing. And I recently listened to an audiobook called Forget the Funnel. And it's also in book form as well. It's about a three hour listen and it's fantastic. And it put to words something that I'd been thinking about for a really long time. So I wanna mention it here before I dive into this theme. Um, something to remember as you're building out your messaging is that you don't want to inundate your prospects or your customers with every single value proposition at once. You can't send a prospect 14 emails with 14 different value propositions. They're not going to understand what you do, and they're not going to understand why what you're doing is actually impactful or important, um, and they're going to be confused. You're also probably going to make them look at your product and think, you know what, they do a bunch of things like I don't need them to do. I should be looking for a different vendor. You so know, when you're, really... when you said this, when you said this, it reminded me of those people that, and I'm one of those people that either, um, with their children or with their, with their fur babies, like a dog, they have tons of pictures and wherever they go, it's like, look at this picture, look at this picture. And you're like, okay, too much. Just, just give me a message, one pick and let me digest it. Leave me alone too much all yeah. at once. Exactly. And you don't putting out too many messages all at once is actually going to make your, you're going to be hurting your marketing and you're going to be hurting your campaign efforts so much more than you're helping them. So one of the things that you can do in your customer calls and conversations is start to understand the timing of when different challenges or when different value propositions become important. So the thing that gets someone through the door might be that they need a platform that helps them keep track of a newsletter audience and send out their newsletters on a regular cadence. And so you just start with, let me solve problem one. And then you get them in the door and they might say, you know what, the reason that I renewed is because there's these incredible analytics that I could share out and show the progress of the work that I was doing. And so what you would send during the customer adoption and expansion phase might be different. And then you might also start learning that there's new products and new features and new functionality that they might want, like SEO optimization techniques. Um, and you can start to understand, okay, well, here are the main key problems that we want to start with. And we want our sales, uh, sales leaders and our, and our executives to be leading within our conversations. Then here's what we want to message during implementation in terms of here's where you're going to get started. And here's where we think you might want to go. And then throughout the customer journey, as they're adopting and they're starting to use your platform, you can start to say, hey, I've noticed you're sending newsletters. 
Why don't you keep track of them and see the impact, see who's opening them? Now let's start to talk about how to optimize them. And then in renewal conversations, you can, you can go back to them and you can say, there's two things that you should really be doing in renewal conversations or renewal upsell conversations. One is going back and re-communicating the value the customer has already gotten out of your product. And so you can say, hey, you solved problems X, Y, and Z in our product. I've seen you do it. I've seen the utilization. Now let's talk about the continued impacts that we can have or the expanded impacts that we can have where we can help you unlock uh, answers to new problems. And being able to talk to all of those different things at the right time is so key. Okay. So give us some tips. Um, what tips might you have for maybe developing messages for all of those different points? And maybe you don't have to do all of the different points, but maybe mm-hmm. one or two of the different points, you know, what, what's a tip or trick that our audience members, members or our listeners could take today and, and implement? Yeah. So it goes back to the questions that you're asking. So when you're asking, um, you know, what was, what, what was happening before you adopted our product? What was the problem that you, that you were having? They will tell you what their key pain point was. And then you can ask, did we solve it? And they'll tell you yes. And here's how, or they might tell you no. And then you'll learn a little bit about what your product needs to be doing better or differently. Um, but that's the place where you go for your in for your for the very top of your funnel start to go to what was wrong before you were using my product and i'll tell you in a nutshell here's the biggest problem that i had here's why i came in um and then you can ask some questions around okay what did you find the most valuable over the last year of using our product or what new functionality have you been introduced to that has been um helpful or game-changing, or maybe you don't want to ask quite such a leading question. And so you can ask them, what was the first thing that you did in our product and that you found the most value in? And then you can ask, okay, what were the second and the third things that you did in our product that you found to be highly valuable? And they'll start to tell you, you know, it was actually using this functionality or using this platform feature or using this service. And then follow up that question with why. You can ask, the more why questions you can ask throughout the conversation, the more you're going to better understand the context. You're going to have the um, resources and the information you need to build effective messaging. And so that's what I would do. If you're at a large company, you might also have a large customer success team or a customer marketing team, and you can work with someone to build out a customer journey where you can start to identify here are the different features, here are the different things that um, we see people using in our product at different points of time in their customer journey. And so if you can build out a customer journey and you can map your value propositions to those, that will help you figure out when to time out different messaging and when to send out, uh, when to start, what to start with, what to continue with, and what to be reinforcing as you're going into those renewal conversations. Super practical and powerful tips and tricks. Um, okay. We, we also, a second habit that we have aside from you introducing yourself, as we wind down the conversation, the lot, the second habit we have is, you know, where do we start? So if you were giving advice to a PMM colleague, right. Uh, maybe a new PMM, maybe an existing PMM, or maybe a PMM that's been around a while, but just starting a new organization or whatever, what's the one final piece of advice you would have for, uh, that person? what would it be? Where, where, where should they start? Getting started can be really difficult um, and it can be kind of overwhelming. So this is a really, really wonderful question to ask. Um, I would actually start by setting up your scope of work. 
defining what it is that you want to achieve. So, and what it is that you have the bandwidth and the resources and the capacity to do. So if you are on a really big team and you have a time to run 40 to 60 interviews and run a survey or run a survey to then identify the people to interview afterwards, um, that can be really helpful. I would say, you know, start by taking one to two hours to sit down and say, finding my customer voice. What is it that I want to get out of my customer voice? Is it messaging insights? Is it product roadmap insights? Is it um, sales experience or customer success experience insights um, into how those processes are working? Be very clear on if it's messaging. And then if messaging is what you're targeting, then start to figure out what is the minimum viable number, uh, amount of work that I need to do to get to the answer that I need. Um, because I would love to tell you that you can get as detailed and as involved and as um, just complex as you want to get with this and spend six months running a customer insight research project every year, but that isn't true. So stop, so, so stop yourself from getting in over your head and start to just say, what is the minimum viable product that I need to do and how much bandwidth do I have and work backwards from there and define, okay, if I only have like 60 hours in this quarter to do this, and I don't have any stakeholders that I can work with, that's a very different um, number of interviews and you know, approach to research as, as you're gonna get. You might be in a situation where you don't have the opportunity to run customer interviews. And so knowing that about your company saying, I wanna get to my customer voice, we're not gonna be able to get to our customers right now because of the renewal situation, because of customer churn. But what I can do is I can use surveys and then look at that and figure out what you can do there. So I would just start by taking one to one to two hours and looking at here are my goals, here is my bandwidth, and here are any constraints or any opportunities that I have to work with and use that to craft the strategy that you want to understand your customer messaging. So I asked for just one like thing and you laid out for everyone how to make this go. That was powerful. Thank you for, for that, that final piece of advice. Ashley, it has been a delight to get to know you and to speak with you. Thank you for sharing your insights on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been just a delightful conversation. You have helped just lead us in so many interesting places. It has been an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to you today. And listeners, for more from us here at True Voice from Corporate Visions, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.